back to Like David Project. This is John Campbell again, and just wanted to thank everybody for listening. Uh, today's show is about grace and just when is it too much grace, when is it not enough. Uh, we reference some current events going on in the news you'll, you'll hear about. Um, and if you're not sure, you can Google the stuff we're talking about, and it would uh, pull up the current news. Um, just one quick announcement is that next week, uh, the guys want to do a Q and a, and so in order to do a Q and a, we need the Q. So if you could throw in some questions, that would be awesome. That would make life really easy for me. Uh, so if you have any questions, go ahead and do it, throw them on the Facebook, just, you can message it. And if you don't want anybody to know or the website and that's it. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show and here's Matt. So I don't know if you guys saw over the last few days. Um, but Westboro Baptist Church made the headlines again. Um, they're the church that has made a name for themselves in um, strong convictions, in picketing funerals, in uh, pronouncing judgment on, on other people. Um, and over the weekend, the Foo Fighters had some kind of uh, counter rally, a protest that, that they did. And, in one of their, I think it was in one of their concerts, wasn't it? It wasn't like staged yes. at West yeah, they, Baptist. Yeah, they, like were pick, they were the the church was picketing outside a Foo Fighters concert, right? So Dave Grohl and his and his friends got dressed up in hillbilly outfits <clears throat> with beards and stuff. For those of you who haven't seen it, and got on a uh, one of those hay trucks with their instruments and stuff, and went out and. Uh, played some parody music. They had a, a song called Keep It Clean. Mom always taught me, keep it clean. Why were they picketing Foo Fighters? I'm still not clear. Do you know? I'm not sure either, but I saw a bunch of people who were obviously Christians carrying signs with all kinds of crazy anti-gay judgmental slogans and things on them. And there was a lot of uh, angst. Like if if you looked at the crowd and tried to see, you could tell just by faces who really was angry. You could see the, you know, the, the angst and the anger and uh, the video clip that I saw, <clears throat> there was some interaction, and uh, you know, like there were some people that were trying to talk, you know, to them and reason with them, and there was some almost, you know, verbal confrontational. It was just weird. It kind of made me feel like I had the thought: it's people like that that give Christianity a bad name. Right. I think if you look at the body of their work, they've done more harm than good with their stands on things. But it raises the question in my mind of of uh, striking a balance between having grace and bringing correction when it's necessary. And and so that's what I would, I would be curious to find out your opinions on. To what extent should we be grace-oriented towards people's sins? And, and when do we have to draw a line and point something out because I think, I think there's a biblical mandate for both. We have to have demonstrate grace. And we take a, a, a note of how Jesus 
acted towards um, non-believers, non-followers, non-Christians. And he was very grace-oriented to those that were sinning. And he actually reserved his harshest criticism for those that were of the faith or should have known better. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a curious question. And so if you take the fact that we're, we're all sinners, but people do commit sins these days. I mean, we can draw a line and say that is a sin that's morally opposed to what God stands, stands for. To what extent should we be gracious and to what extent do we correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an excellent topic today uh, <clears throat> because all of us in our lives are surrounded by people and our lives intersect with the lives of other people. And we want to be people who have hearts for God. And that's why we call this the Like David Project because like David, we want to have a heart, heart for God and we want to be able to portray that heart for God to other people that they would sense and know the heart of God for them so they might turn from their ways and turn to God. Now, <clears throat> you know, this doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a rock band who has ticked off the Christian community or, you know, what if some article in the news, uh, it doesn't have to be any of those things. It might just be a person in your life who you know is doing something in excess, whether it's drinking, smoking, carousing, overspending, overeating, whatever it is, you know, we've talked about addiction a little bit in the past, whatever it is, at what point in time do you step in? Like if we want to have tolerance and we want to show love at some point in time, there is a place where God might use us because our lives are intersecting to speak a word of correction or instruction or direction. And, and when is that point? When does that come up? And I think that's the part that we struggle with sometimes because if we're ahead of the ahead of the curve and we're speaking before the time is right, like we, we know that the Holy, no man comes but the Spirit of God draw him or her. So we know the Holy Spirit is doing something in that person's life. And if we start bringing words of correction, direction, instruction, before the Holy Spirit has prepared that heart, then it will be perceived by that person as we're preachy or religious or judgmental, kooky, judgmental all those kinds of things. Or if we wait until it's too late, it might be too late. So to me, it really kind of the answer is something as simple as like coordinating with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> making sure I'm coordinating with the Holy Spirit in this person's life. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because, um, say, in church on a Sunday morning, we're all there, and someone might come in who doesn't fit the Christian profile. But obviously the Holy Spirit has prompted them to be there. And isn't it better that they're there than that they get corrected with, you know, like a a requirement. You must change this before you can stay, before you can be a part. Without a doubt. But there should be, at some point, the Holy Spirit will speak to that person. They will understand. And, And there's a certain amount of time that they'll have to be brought through that process and it's it's gradual i remember my my father-in-law john booker t- telling the story of how he was saved and he was 
you know, a sold out hippie. And he, when he first started coming to church, everyone was wearing suits except for him who was barefoot in his, in his robes with his long beard and, and long hair. And he talks about the acceptance is what changed his heart and the hugs that he received and, you know, the, the, the grace that people demonstrated to him. And eventually he cut his hair and eventually he wore shoes and eventually he shaved off his beard and all of those things happened over time. Um, but there was something about the grace that he experienced that really changed his, his life. Yeah. And all it took was time for the rest to correct itself. Yeah. Whereas if someone... See, I also was saved in the Jesus movement at the same time that, that John was. And so there was a bunch of us that were pretty much from the streets and scraggly. And mm-hmm. we all had long hair and beards and some didn't smell so good. And all of a sudden there was this movement of God. Some say maybe the last move of God that the United States has ever really experienced, a true move of God. Mm-hmm. Uh there was this move of God and people were coming into the, into the church. And fortunately in our situation, because uh, John and I were both involved in the same church, there was a bunch of loving people who a lot of them had come out of the charismatic Catholic movement and they, there was love and acceptance and forgiveness. And we weren't told you need to cut your hair. You need to do this. You need to do that. There weren't a bunch of rules, but eventually we learned because there was a lot of teaching of the word of God and we heard the word of God being taught and preached and, and modeled. There was a, there was a house called uh, the Maranatha house and there was discipleship going on. And there were people like Tex Young that would sit with groups of 10 or 15 of his guys and talk about what the word of God said. And you know what changed me? You know what changed us? The word of God. It wasn't the rules and the regulations. It was the word of God as, as, as the Holy Spirit brought it. Right. But isn't there a danger that in preaching you present things like hard and fast rules? See, and that's part of, part of the problem with this area is because you want to voice an opinion on, on how your belief needs to be played out. But if, if, it's, if you're saying something as a hard and fast rule that this is how God's kingdom works... And but you're speaking to someone who hasn't built up that relationship, and or as you said, who who hasn't had that seed sown in their life already to where it becomes uh, falling on on hard soil. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my point is the way that you present, the way that you communicate is uh, is is very crucial to that. Yeah. The way that you talk about God's word and how you how you communicate that because you have to allow God to bring the correction at that at that level you have to yeah. allow the holy spirit yeah. to prompt things so you're really just laying out um what it says but without any sort of requirement to it is that yeah. is that the way that I you know that is so, that's I don't know if you caught that that's the second tool for your toolbox today the first tool is coordinate with the Holy Spirit. The second one is be aware of the delivery. Be aware of the way you say it. Be aware of the way you present it. Uh, this might be a good time to bring in the scripture. Uh, it's from 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, All scripture is inspired by God 
and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Mm -hmm. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So that's what we're talking about. We're saying if we know what the word of God says about something and we're being careful in the life of another person to coordinate with the Holy Spirit for timing, and then we're also aware of the delivery. Are we doing it in a judgmental way? No. Wrong. Fail. Or are we doing it in a loving, in uh, nurturing, grace-filled grace way? Then we'll have that opportunity to present what the Word of God says so that, how did it say it? God uses it to prepare and equip people. So we're the messengers, we're the vessel, and we bring that word to people because God wants to change them from the inside out. Here's a question. Can you be a Christian, a true follower of Christ, without grace? If you have no grace. No. Yeah. Oh, you mean, oh, I, when you first said that, I, I thought you meant without grace in the sense that it's impossible for us to be saved but by the grace of God. Right. But did correction. you mean? Did you mean like how we individually demonstrate grace? Like we cannot be a true believer if we are not graceful people. Right. Is that what you mean? Yeah, more not. Yeah, you're right. That's a harder question, but I think it's I think it's a goal for for every every believer. We will not have the grace that God has because we're not God, but we will get better at it. Yeah. If the longer that we walk with him, the more graceful we will become. That's a good point, John. The, the grace will be there in some situations and the grace won't be there in some situations because there may be certain things that we're predisposed to. I could, you know, I could flow with that. I could flow with this person if they're doing this, this, and that. But, you know, the person that's doing this, this, and that, no, I couldn't have anything to do with that. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, how do you, how do you do that? And I think we're, we're going to need the grace of God in dealing with people in their lives to be able to do Because there's some stuff we just won't understand. But if we understand that everybody's at a different place at a different time in their spiritual journey, some have not even become a follower of Christ yet. But then those of us who are followers of Christ have a higher responsibility. And you're saying, you know, could we uh, be true followers of Jesus Christ and not have that? I think we can, but I don't think it's right. I think that there is a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there that have this judgmental, horrible, awful, crappy attitude, and and portray it. And I think that they're kind of making it rough for the rest of us who genuinely have a heart of compassion and tolerance for people because Jesus did. And we want to reach them for Christ. Yeah. Don't we cross the line sometimes in, in thinking that because God has revealed something to us and convicted us of a truth that we then have or that everyone else is responsible yeah. to to believe the yeah. same or to yes. hold the same standard. Yeah. That is a perfect example. I think that's where a lot of people get off, get get sidetracked. Yeah. yeah. And even if it is true, even if it is part of God's moral principle, 
not everyone has become aware of it to the same extent that we might have. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are different stages in there. Yeah. In their walk. Now, ignorance is not an excuse either. Uh, given our unparalleled access to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit, we cannot allow ignorance to be an excuse, and we can't tell God, "I just didn't know that." And when we have we have opportunity daily to to learn what God has to say, and yeah. we are responsible to that. Yeah. But there's also a progressive nature to the revelation of God that that yeah. builds little by little. Yes. In reinforcing those standards. That's so true. I think the. Uh that can also be a setup for the entrance of spiritual pride. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, a, I know that it's wrong for me to smoke a cigarette. You know, I'm just using this as an example. And, you know, luckily, when I got saved, that was one of the things that just dropped right off. There are other things, however, that I will mention that I have had to spend my entire life working on a little bit at a time, removing that mountain that God said he would remove, but a wheelbarrow at a time, you know, (laughs) just taking that away. And so what can happen is I can develop this spiritual pride, this, this arrogance, this spiritual arrogance. If, if I'm around someone who is still struggling with tobacco of any kind, and it's like, that's so wrong and unfair of me because they may not be dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. I mean, we know that the Bible says that there's no temptation that is taking you, but that which is common to man. And I believe that, you know, just speaking to men here, I, I think that there's things that men deal with on a con- continual basis. But for any of us to kind of take this attitude that uh, just because God helped us deal with something, therefore you must do it too. Or God is speaking to me about this area of my life, therefore it, I, I, I lay that like an overlay, like a pattern on someone else. I think that's projecting things that uh, are maybe God is saying to me on others. And, and that's not wrong if you're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I made the mentioned earlier and this might be a good time to talk about is who was it that when we read the you know the three years of jesus walking on this earth oh man loving compassion and healing and stuff except for a few times he was a little ticked about stuff and whenever it was it was not against the tax collectors and the outcasts of societies it was always directed at the religious And most of the time he was calling them on their spiritual pride and their spiritual arrogance. Mm -hmm. And what does that tell us then when we see in, when we see in, in the news, that same kind of thing. And he was telling them for, or he was mad because they didn't have grace when it comes down to it. Spiritual pride, not showing grace, judgment. And so that's kind of the, the basis of the question how could we be a follower of Christ without grace when it's obvious that it's important, very important. And so when I see, not to bring it back 20 minutes, but churches like Westboro Baptist Church, that is filled with hate. There's no evidence of grace whatsoever if you've looked into what they do. and the, Little love as well. I mean, they demonstrate any, very little love. Towards each other, maybe. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, it's so much hate and so much judgment that... 
I wouldn't be willing to say they, and I think even honestly, it's so bad in that scenario that anybody that's looked into it would never throw them into the Christian community. I would say there's a very small percent that would ever, they would just not know culture mm-hmm. itself to want to throw a group like that into Christianity. Yeah. That's like saying the KKK is a part of the church, yeah. you know, when it's obvious it's a hate filled group. So, I mean, that's kind of, I don't, I don't think that they would even be considered a part of the Christian community because it's from, I mean, I, and I'm not, from the outside, it looks like pure hate just from the actions that they, yeah. they do yeah. or the damage they do to other people. John, you brought up in our conversation about something similar. It wasn't Westboro Baptist, but you brought up an interesting point the other day, and I just remembered it, how one of the most amazing demonstrations of love that we could show as a church would be to love Westboro Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Someone that we we don't agree with. We don't we don't like what we see. We think it's negative. If but if we can if we can still be gracious towards them. Do you remember challenging yeah. me at that? I'm like, oh, Oh, That's good. I'm feeling the conviction right now. Why did you have to I'm say just thinking, that? you know, it's like I'm showing grace in my heart right now for the Foo Fighters, like <laughs> possibly one of the best rock bands out there right now. I'm showing grace towards them and not to what the, the church. Yeah. I'm convicted. But in the same, not to be my own enemy on that concept. Yeah, you made the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's their, it's their fault. But if you look, it just. And I mean, I, I might be wrong, but like we were saying how Jesus, the people that he corrected the most were the religious, the spiritual prideful. Um, those would be those people. So I think those people, as much as they need grace, would be, if we are going to correct, I think that would be, if we had that position, if we don't, that would be the people you'd want to correct, the people that are going against Burke. So when do we correct? We talked about that earlier. We talked about grace, and we might need to speak more on that because grace is so important to how we operate as Christians. But when when do we have the right to correct? Like a personal correction. I think there's a difference. There's like from the, you know, you could give a lesson on a, a subject of something that may say drunkenness or whatever. You know, just something that's, that could be needed to correct addiction. You teach on addiction. That's correction to a group. But to go to a specific person and say, what you're doing is wrong. You know, you can't murder yeah. people. Stop murdering people. You know. But I think from a platform, you have the opportunity to lay out the way things should be. And I think that's one of the preacher's job is to, like, say things how they should be. To be talking about how things are in heaven and calling people to live to that standard. And in the process, it, it should challenge people to correct. I mean, you can't take sin with you into heaven. You can't take greed. You can't take pride. Those things are going to fall away as you move into God's kingdom. And so you have to challenge people in those areas. And I, I think there's a mandate with that perspective to be bold in what you address and not shy away from it. But it, it's different from... From from saying from the pulpit, now you over there, you have a problem with 
drunkenness or something. Because as you know, as a pastor, you might know something about somebody, mm-hmm. and I think there is a danger in then calling them out on that yeah. from the pulpit. Yeah. Um, and so I don't. I I would hesitate to correct from the pulpit, but I feel it very important to lay out a standard, raise the bar, and challenge people to live up to it. Yeah. I think as people follow you, that might that opportunity, like the whole discipleship and wanting people to be the first followers. And so as we follow Jesus, people will be following us. And I think in those, as someone's trying to be a follower, then they're also not subjecting themselves, but also wanting to learn from you too. If if they're following you, then that person is obviously wanting to mimic your walk. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that would give be... you, I think that would be a, a, a good time where you could correct somebody. If they're, if that person is following you and they're not following correctly, then you can say, no, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. But if they're not trying to follow you, don't try to correct them. You know, that's a very important element. The element of relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's relationship that gives you a platform to speak. And if our lives intersect with the life of another person because we're walking together with them, because we have a relationship. In other words, we earn the right to speak into someone's life. That's something that's earned, something that's learned, something that's discerned, is, is the ability to speak into someone's life. And, and I was just, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, man, that, that might be the key. What is it we need? Well, we need a platform to speak into people's lives. And what is that? That platform is relationship. And I was thinking, well, okay, I think of Old Testament prophets that were, woe to thee, and they were speaking and preaching. And I think you better be sure that's what God's called you to do if that's what you're going to do. Well, let's talk for a minute about uh, the place of the prophet, the doomsday prophet, for just a second. Because we're talking, I know that mostly we're talking about giving love with grace and bringing correction and instruction and help for people kind of at the individual level as followers of Christ. But then, you know, we opened this podcast talking about a church that was kind of standing in a declaration mode against the sins of the nation. And it's like, well, what's, what's the place for that in today's society? We know that there's proof text. We know that there's biblical precedent because we can read the Old Testament of guys like Jeremiah and, and uh, Jonah went to Nineveh and, and Hezekiah, we, we read of these prophets who go and speak a word of correction, of strong correction, and we see people and nations repenting uh, because of it and God saving their city. For example, Jonah, he went and he spoke the word to Nineveh and they changed and God changed his heart towards them. They were on a on track to be annihilated by God, and they changed. And it made the prophet so forlorn, and he's crying and whining and, and uh, started fleeing, fleeing from God himself. 
So where's the place for Christianity today for us to do that? And is it possible that Westboro Baptist is that modern-day prophet speaking the words of God loudly and clearly? Is it, is it possible? I guess you could argue it is. You could. All things are possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also, you know, we have to be careful with prophets. We have to treat them with honor, the word says. But we did, we made the point that we have to be gracious even towards those people that we might, we might disagree with too. And and God's word is all, is, is so challenging. Mm -hmm. It is an offense to people that just because something offends us, we can't write it off because The gospel is offensive. Yeah. It challenges us to do things in a different way than we would naturally do. I just re- were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, if Westboro Baptist Church is a prophet, then I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's well, like saying Hitler well, may have been right. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, it, no, 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 no. It's no, very no. similar because it's both groups flooded by hate. They, I mean, it's there's that much hate involved I mean so I think we have the word to look at Jesus' life you know being a Christian does it look you could you could add up and I mean I I understand what you're saying though there is like there was this guy growing up lived down the block from me and he I don't think he was all there but he pretty much gave his life to running around town screaming about Jesus. And, like, he would sit on the side of the road with, like, those body billboards and just say, you know, it would say stuff like, Jesus loves you, or something like that, which isn't a bad thing. But he would get a lot of flack because he wasn't, I think there was a mental challenge there just because he would, come after people in the park and, you know, chase after people. But I grew up with him, literally. 18 years, I'd seen this guy in a park. And I remember I used to work at Subway, and he always was in the park across the street. So every once in a while, some he'd be chased into Subway, and I would talk to him for a minute, and some guy had stolen his keys or something like that. And, and, but it kind of arose that question in me, too. This, nobody likes this guy. Not even Christians really like this guy just because he really, even though some of what he says is good, there's a lot of judgment and it just comes off as crazy, you know, but what if crazy is right? (laughs) You know, what if we need to be more standing on the street for eight hours and just holding our Bible in the air? Maybe, you know, it kind of grows those questions in me as well, where it's like, well, when is crazy the right thing to do? You know? Yeah. So... Well, since we're kind of talking about wild and crazy prophets, right? Now, that's kind of the topic. Wild and crazy prophets. I think of John the Baptist in Jesus' day. He was the forerunner to Jesus. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. He came before, and he was as wild and crazy as they came, you know, the way he was dressed, and he was preaching to people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I would say that God does call people to be prophets from time to time. But I think that the life of a prophet is often very, very lonely, very, very despised, and can often end with beheading. 
So you better be really, really careful to know that that is what God has called you to do. If you're going to be a prophet to a region, to an area, to a city, to a street corner, to a nation, wherever, I think you need to know that God has called you to that and you can't live unless you're doing that, unless you're giving that message. Now, it kind of makes me think, though, is a church called to do that? Because I see the prophets as always being individuals. And oftentimes they weren't really even associated, you know, with churches. They were individuals that were called to do that. So, you know, could this church, are they called to that prophetic ministry? Is there, is there a precedent, biblical precedent for entire churches to take on those messages? I don't think so. I think God calls individuals to do it, and they will stand up. And I think there's a way to do it, and a way to do it right, and a way to do it wrong. And I know there's a lot of people that thought John the Baptist was doing it wrong. And maybe God has called you to be wild and crazy, or this the subway man that you speak of, or the you know the, the guy across the street. But I think in this day and age. I think that we will produce greater results for the kingdom of God if we will build relationship and go for it that way. And maybe I say that just because that's my predisposition. I think there's something to that because what people need right now is a demonstration of the power of God in your life, I think. In a post-Christian society like ours, a lot of words have been spoken, but people need to see yeah. lives being changed because yeah. of it. Yeah. And that will, I think that will speak much louder right now. Just given our, you know, the, the situation that we're in, um, the number of preachers there are on TV or whatever you want to say, we've, people have heard a lot about Jesus, but maybe what they haven't seen is lives that reflect God's, God's life, God's yeah. love, God's character. Yeah. That's you could focus a lifetime on that. Yeah, there's enough to. I think we need to do that more. I just agree with you. That's all. I'd like I'd like to try to live there. You know, I would like to be the voice of love, acceptance, and forgiveness to people that are around me. I know that my flesh doesn't want to. Like for example, I just thought of an example. It's like here I am talking about this, and yesterday uh, I had to drive across town like down Camelback and up Scottsdale Road to get to North Scottsdale from the middle of town and there's no freeway you have to go at these snail paces and several times I caught myself being very ungodly to drivers that were around me because of the frustration of being in a hurry I, I, had, a I had a time constraint and I was in a hurry and I just could not break out of the flow of traffic. So I finally just had to relax and just say, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm just going to go with the flow here. Yeah. So it's a lot easier sometimes to act that way. But, you know, I don't think that, uh, uh, you know, somebody said once that if you turn on Christian TV sometimes and look at some of these preachers and turn the sound off, mute the sound, they look like they're really angry. 
if you just look at their facial expressions and stuff, they look really, really angry. Ooh, who's he? Who he's really, really mad because it looks like they're they're throwing a, a temper tantrum, a temper fit, and it's like I think sometimes that's the way followers of Jesus Christ are portrayed, or that's the way uh, not portrayed but perceived by others because they've seen that kind of thing. And so they don't really hear the words that are being spoken. They're just looking at the way it's being said. Not what's being said, but the way it's being said. And we have to be careful of that. Yes. And integrity is very important these days. Um, you, even if you say the right, the truth, are you, are you living that? Are you demonstrating it? Do you yeah. see the, the fruit of that in your life? Without that, it's people see through that very quickly. Yeah. And I think that our exposure to media has made us very uh, quick to recognize a sales job when we see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can see we can see through that. Yes. And, and we need to be careful. Yeah. Um, I have another thought. I don't know if we talked about this, yeah. but the only, the only thing I perhaps we haven't discussed yet is that. There are scriptures in the New Testament um, that talk about correcting your brother. And even if you go, you know, as uh, two or three to him and you correct him and he does not receive it. There's even a script, you know, the, the mandate to then ostracize, mm-hmm. cut them off, uh, turn them over to the devil. Yeah. And that's so uh, we haven't talked about that, that side of it yet. But... But um, but that is that that is also biblical. That's also part of this yeah. grace, acceptance, correction. Yeah. At some point, there might be the occasion when yeah. you have to directly confront something. Yeah. And it, this is a very important talking point. It's like uh, it's found in Matthew eighteen, and it has to do with when someone has offended you. And there's other scriptures that support that. There's certain things that do require immediate attention, corrective attention, uh, gossiping and backbiting, and especially the causing of division yeah. in the body, the causing of division in the church. <clears throat> and I do love that it starts, it's a process that starts with what we've been talking about, the relational aspect of talking to a person. It says you must, the, the three steps are, the first step is, Go to that person alone, mm-hmm. just between the two of you. So when there's a, a, a some kind of altercation or some kinds of some kind of a problem, some kind of an offense of the word of God, uh, something that is the biblical mandate, don't cause division in the body, in the body, or whatever it is, or immorality is one of the other ones. When you go to that person alone, then that's where that relational link is, where it's. We have a relationship, and because I love you and because I care of you, I, I need to point out that the, the journey that you're on right now is going to end in tragedy. And we know that the Holy Spirit has probably already been speaking to them if they're a Christian. And this is, and, and another important, important point with this, this is not to unbelievers. This, this, this process is not to unbelievers. Vision it's, to, it's to believers. This is a word that is spoken to believers, people who are followers of Jesus Christ that are violating some, somehow. 
So we're to go to them alone and we're, we're to talk to them alone and entreat them like a brother. And if they hear you, then you've won a brother over. Now, if they refuse to hear you and you give them time and space to be able to do that, but if they continue to do that, then it says you bring a few other people. And I believe that is, you know, sometimes it's the elders of the church, which is maybe a little formal. To me, it, it should still be relational at that point. It should be like almost like family intervention. It should be people who love you and care about you and and care about your well-being so that the person doesn't feel ganged up on. They just feel, oh, I'm being talked to again about this by people that love me, but a few more people. And what it does is it brings this increase. It brings this a little higher velocity to the situation where other people are saying the same things, the things that the Holy Spirit has been speaking already, that one person came and was speaking, and then to another group of people that are speaking as well. And it says at that point in time, if the person will not hear you, you're supposed to put them outside the church. And the whole reason is not to ostracize them or not to make them feel not welcome or to feel rejected or whatever, but it's within the protection and authority of the church that's there already, God has been wanting to bring them, but if they're not listening to that, then you put them out that outside of that protective covering to be handed over to Satan, some of the versions say, for the destruction of their flesh. And the whole idea is the destruction of their flesh so that their soul can be saved. So there is, there's still that relational aspect of it. And at that point in time, there is a need for, to move past tolerance and move into correction. And it's when they have, they, they should know better. I mean, that's kind of the watchword. It's been spoken to them by the Holy Spirit and by you as an agent of the Holy Spirit. And they have, it has not been received. Yeah. And and it has to do specifically with causing division and immorality. Those are the two things that specifically. And I think the reason is because like a little bit of leaven causes a loaf of bread to be contaminated by the whole thing. Those kinds of things can contaminate an entire, you know, like one bad apple will spoil the whole barrel of apples. Those kinds of things, there's because there's a spirit behind them. Those kinds of things can contaminate an entire church or an entire congregation. That's why there's a responsibility to those who are what to that are in a place of responsible a responsibility and will give an account to God for their lives and the way that they shepherded the flock of God. And I'm talking about good shepherds, loving shepherds, uh, uh, not controlling and not doing it for any other reason other than the, their love of God and the love of the sheep. They have a responsibility to watch out over the flock of whom God has called them to be overseers and to be aware of these things because they want to make sure that it will not contaminate those that are around them. And it's, uh, it's a very hard thing to do, but there are times and occasions when it must be done. Yeah. But just to, as a question, what, when is that point? When is that point that you do that? What if somebody comes in the church and becomes a believer and is in the church, but they have a lot of things in their life that are immoral, according to our eyes? When is it 
when when is that line? I know it's a gray area, but when do you say something? Well, well, for that reason, if, grace can be messy, and grace takes a long time to right. work out in people's lives. But I think that I think that you will know when it's right because it's the as we started the first point James made was coordinating with the Holy Spirit. I think that you will know when it's the right time to say something and when it's not. Yeah, I think it's important to seek counsel before doing so. There, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't want your an entire church willy nilly going out and correcting each other. Like that could be pretty dangerous, right? Yeah, and and according to Ma- the Matthew 18 procedure, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better term, that would never happen. It's not like a bunch of church people on a witch hunt. You know, I'm talking to you about this, and now I'm going to bring Joe and Fred and Bill and Bob over. You know, it would never happen like that. It's you, those kinds of situations. I believe are reserved for mature people that know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. Uh, that's the way I've seen it happen. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's kind of reserved for those. And I I'm thinking of Paul uh, speaking to the church at Corinth. And saying, you've got to deal with this because it's, you know, the reputation is out there that there's even, there's even a guy who's, you know, shacked up with his mom. And I don't, you know, I don't know the the right way to say that on a podcast without offending somebody, but there's an immorality issue between a son and a mother. And it's evident from the way that Paul's saying it. Everybody knows about it. And so what Paul is saying is you need to go in and deal with that and correct that because silence on your part would seem to say that it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that's talking about someone who just has gotten saved and is still kind of trying to figure out how to walk that line of changing their old lifestyle into their new lifestyle. I think this is, I think this is for the gravest of circumstances where this Matthew 18 principle would be, you know, put into place. Yes. Yeah. So don't, I agree there's no need to worry. I just pictured, like, a mother's son coming to church and being like, oh, when do we say something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it's too soon. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's too soon. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to say something, but it's so awkward. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh man. But it's it's true. And the only reason why I brought that up, just that saying, you don't I want everybody that. going through the church correcting each other, is just because some people, even me listening to this, some on this subject, sometimes people hear what they want to hear. Yeah. Yes. So it's important to, even if it is, may seem like common sense to get all the facts out. Yeah. This is, and it is, it's a hard thing to talk about because there are some gray areas. <coughs> the lines yeah. aren't always. It's true. Well, grace and salvation are kind of gray areas, to be honest. We've made them, especially salvation, we've made it a line when it's really not a line. Yeah, it's a it's a gray area that we live in between now and yeah, and we find out and the after <laughs> yeah. and the rest between yeah. now and the rest. Yeah, work out your salvation with fear yeah. and trembling. It's a constant process of yeah. 
molding and shaping our lives into more of what God yeah. has for us. Yeah. And so any any line drawing, any lines yeah. in the sand, it can it can work against that. Yeah. It can cause people to it can create a, a barrier when there really isn't one. Yeah. And you know what? I, I can say too. Uh, you know, like you said, yeah, but what's to prevent, you know, church, church is just taking off all willy nilly. I think is the term you use, the technical term you use there. I like it. Willy nilly, you know, calling each other out, you know, uh, in it, honestly, in I've, I've studied those verses and I've been in, you know, pastors meetings talking about those verses and scenarios and, and, uh, but in all the years of ministry, I'm thinking back and I I can remember maybe one time or two times that a person was actually, it was actually spoken from the pulpit. We're asking you to have nothing to do with this person. Mm. You know what I mean? It, and the beautiful, the beauty part of this is it almost never gets to that point because most of the time, if a person is open and teachable, and you're coordinating with the Holy Spirit, and you're coming with the right heart and the right attitude, it's taken care of at step number one, which is go to that person alone, just between the two of you. And you've entreated a person, and you've won them over, because the Holy Spirit is also at work. And I'll tell you what, when you get involved in those situations, and you're one of the bearers of good or bad news, you're one of the people that are involved with doing that. I've been in that situation. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about your own sin because you've got the Holy Spirit saying, I'm just going to write here on the, on the ground. You know, remember when Jesus did that, yeah. they brought the, they brought the, the lady involved in adultery and he said, hold on just a second. And he started writing in the sand. I think he was just like writing out the sins of those who brought her, pointing out their areas. And they all started turning around and walking away. And he said, where are your accusers? Uh, they're all gone. They've all gone. I know that in any kind of these types of situations, the Holy Spirit is at work in all of us. And I think at the individual level, if we're talking with someone about something in their life, God is working in us because our lives intersect for a reason for you and for me. You know, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It cuts you and it cuts me. If we're using the word of God, then it's a sharp sword for myself. If I'm, if I'm sharing something with someone and I'm sharing the word of God, it, it'll be cutting them and it'll be cutting me as well. Cause it, it, it there's two sides of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a good, excellent uh, summary there. Just the process and everything has to be done with grace and love. Yeah. yeah. And and be careful. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. Yeah. And and for that reason, those extreme last resorts that we're talking about yeah. are extreme last resorts. Yeah. They are not yeah. go-to principles. Yeah. And it's not this. It's not the first reaction that we have. Yeah. And even that one, it's a process. It's a three-stage process. Yeah. Which God's timeline, it could be short, it could be fast. It just depends on how things go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, on the response. Yeah. <laughs>